Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19 through 34. The words will be on the screen. I'll read it. Um, And we'll pray that God does this work in all of our hearts. Let's read. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you, any of you, add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor had dripped like them. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, say it with me. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, uh, the advice that you give us is simple, but it's not easy. So we pray that you would help us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Even though it may not be the same thing, everybody in here is worried about something. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to give you a little application. I know we save that for the end of the message, but here it is right here on the front. At some point through the 40 minutes that I'll be up here, Lord willing, um, Your mind's going to wander, something's going to pop into your head, you're going to zone out and worry about something. When you do, just write that on a sheet of paper, type it in on your iPhone. It's going to take place. All of us are worried about something. Worry does this. It starts with an assessment. It starts with you saying, "Uh, I'm worried because I don't have this thing or I have this thing And I'm fearful that I may lose this thing. And so an irresponsible way to deal with worry is to just be lazy. Have you ever been so worried that it's hard for you to do work that you're like, I'm so worried about how this rent will get paid. I'm so worried about how this paper will get done. And instead of working, you just watch TV. (laughs) There's a responsible way to deal with worry. And that's to work, right? I'm so worried about this. Therefore, I've got to work. I've got to get another job. I've got to put in overtime in the job that I have. I have to work. That we think that if we can just get what we don't have, that we can get rid of our worry. Our worrying leads to working. And we think that our working gets rid of of worrying, but my question is this, how is your working 
working out for you. What I've learned is that uh, working doesn't always fix worrying. Sometimes it leads to more worry. Right? So you can be concerned about stuff that you don't have and you work really hard to get it. And then you find out that this whole work thing, there's not a finish line, right? It's not like an end line. You run, but it's like you run on a treadmill. Because before, worry was just about, I don't have that, I need to get it. But then once you get it, worry is, I have it. I don't want to lose it. You find that having is not the same thing as holding. Even people that have absolutely everything have reasons to worry. And if that's not enough, worry is something we all have, we can't get rid of. One thing that we have to sit with uh, is that worry ruins absolutely everything. When you worry, um, you are actually a worse version of yourself than when you don't worry. If you don't believe me, ask the people who are around you when you worry. I guarantee you that they'll tell you the same thing. Worry has been the end of friendships, relationships, jobs, trust. No situation is ever really improved just by worrying. And so this little piece of news may be news to you, but I want you to know... Um, you aren't the only one with problems. But I guarantee you, you've been around somebody with bigger problems than you in both their quality and their quantity, but they have less worry than you do. You've been around people that have less stuff than you do but they have more peace than you do. Why? How does that happen? Do you want to live like this? Do you want to know the freedom and the joy and the peace that can come from living life without worry? The worry that you have right now that may be crippling to you, do you know that you don't have to keep it? You don't have to hold on to it. It's only going to hurt you. It makes you a worse version of yourself. So the God that loves us comes in and he takes not just this portion of scripture, but so much time in scripture talking about worry. Because he doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want us to be that way. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to flourish. And like, I'm, like I've said, and as we go through this text, um, usually there's a lot that I have to do to make it clear and compelling and make sure that the point gets across. Uh, but this piece of text isn't really that, right? As we read through it at the front, you all left and said, uh, John, I think I know what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't worry. That's simple, but it's not easy. So what I want to do is to show us all how we can live a life without worry. Uh, And I want you to know it's simple, but it's not easy because it comes with a cost, a cost that we often don't want to give. So we'll just start here in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, and we'll work our way through the end. The very first thing that he's going to say, if you and I are ever going to live a worry-free life, is this. We've got to learn to make the wise choice. You have to make the wise choice. Uh, This past summer, I turned 35 years old, and folks asked me what I did for my birthday. And on my actual birthday, um, I had nothing to do. My daughter was with her grandma. My wife was at work. I had the day off. So I did, I guess, what 35-year-olds do on their birthday. Uh, I made an appointment with the eye doctor, and I went to the eye doctor. So as I'm sitting there, you know, you sit down in the chair and, They've got this little test that you do where you look at the big letters on the wall 
and then they put that thing down in front of your eyes, and they say one or two. One or two. Which one's clear? It's not rocket science. The choice is easy. One helps me see better. Well, then they come back, and they say, all right, one or two. One or two, and you say, ah, two. And then they say, one or two, one or two, and he's like, I can't really tell about the same. And they're like, one or two, and they say it louder, and you're like, all right, one. (laughs) What it is is they give you these successive choices in order to help you see something. That's what Jesus is going to do here, right? We think that the problem with worry is about what we have, but what he's saying is, I'm going to give you three choices of things, and I'm going to show you what the real problem is. Look at this, uh, 19 to 21, it starts off and says this, look, don't worry, or don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy. And where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Two treasures, you can store them up here, or you can send them ahead. Then he goes on, and not he he doesn't just tell us to make a choice about what we love, although the choice that he gives is clear. Are you going to choose one that has an expiration date that's really quick, or are you going to choose one that doesn't expire? Of course we'd say, ah, well, I want the one that's better. Then he goes on to your lenses, how you view the world, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? That comes right in the middle of him talking about money. So we can assume that that is meant to talk about your perspective on how you view things. Do you want a light perspective where you can see things or do you want to walk around in the darkness? Well, we'd say, of course we want to walk around in the light. So he goes from what you love to the lenses, how you look through life. Then he says, ah, well, here's what you really have to make a choice about. No one can serve two masters since he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says you ultimately have to make a choice about which Lord that you'll serve. So here, here's my main point, sermon in a sentence. Your worry is not about what you have. It's about who you serve. Your worry has absolutely nothing to do with what you have, but everything to do with who you serve. Here's what I mean. He starts off and he says, hey, the very first choice that you have to make is about what you love. And so he says this, look, that this love of money, if you love treasure here on earth and you think that's going to be the thing that brings you your joy, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, but Jesus is going to go a little further and say, it's the road to emptiness. The value of something is seen in how durable it is. And what he's saying is, don't invest your life on something that bugs and oxygen can destroy You really want to build your entire life on something that one match could destroy. So what he's saying here is it's a senseless choice that to have somebody invest their lives storing up treasures on earth would be like somebody taking their life savings and decorating their hotel room. You're there for a time but you're going to leave it. Why not use your money and send it on to your true home? Yeah, I know your hotel room may not be like you want it, but your money is meant to have an eternal impact. Proverbs 19.17, you may say, John, what does it look like to store up treasures in heaven? Uh, Proverbs 19 says this, look, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will give a reward to the lender. One of the ways that we can do that, generosity. 
giving. That's one way that we say, I'm not trying to store up treasure here on earth because I'm literally taking my money and giving it to somebody that cannot give me anything back. But I trust God that you said that you're going to be the one to pay me back. And I know you pay back with interest. Look, that's simple, but it's not easy. We know this advice is right. It's straightforward. It comes from God. But you and I don't use our money that way. Why don't we? I think verse 22 to 23 helps us. And it says this, look, the eye is the lamp of the body. Um, So that word eye there uh, in these days The heart was not just used to describe how you felt. Your heart was your control center, right? Your heart was the cockpit, your pilot, what guided you. Well, the eye was the same way. Your eye was the way that you set your direction to come in and poach on the things that you love. And so what he starts here and he says, all right, wait, wait. The main thing that we have to see is your perspective on money has to be right. That if your eye is healthy... Healthy in this terms, when the Bible talks about money and a good use of it, it almost always talks about generosity, giving, others, helping, serving. When it talks about a bad use of money, it almost always talks about it in terms of greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, spending it on yourself. And what he's saying is, if your perspective about this is wrong or it's off, You're never going to make the right choice because every choice that God gives, every piece of advice that he gives is going to feel like the wrong one to you because it's causing you to give up something that you love. Money blinds us to, to its true value. Money reduces life. To the things that money can buy. Look here at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, look, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food or the body more than clothing? If money is your master, ruler, Lord, all of life becomes about things that money can buy. Comes about the status that you can get with it the security that you think comes with it or from it. But once we unblind ourselves, what we can do is we can see that money is not a vice or a virtue. It's not good or bad. It's a vehicle that helps us see what's really at the heart of our worry. And that's this. You can't serve God and money. What it does right here. In 24, is it says no one can serve two masters, and then it's going to do this interesting thing with money. It's going to set it up against God so that it turns money not into a what, but into this who. So it's saying that our problem is not a what problem. It's not about what we have, as if our worry could be fixed just by the fact that we have more, because if that was the case, nobody that's rich would ever commit suicide. What it does is it helps us see that money is not just a thing. Money has the potential to become an idol, a master, or a ruler. One of my favorite shows in all the world is The Wire. Um, The Wire is a show about drugs in Baltimore. Five seasons is told through the lens of the drug dealers, the cops, the policemen, journalists, and the school system. And what you get through these five years uh, is you see that it seems like the drug problem should be a simple one to stop. Let's arrest all the bad guys. Let's get all the drugs out. But what the show does is it shows you how complicated it is. Lester Freeman is this one guy. He's a detective, and he's so good. And he comes up with really the bottom line of the show, the most classic line for the show. And he says this, look. He says, here's the real problem. 
If you follow the drugs, you'll get drug addicts and drug dealers. But if you follow the money, you don't know what you're going to find. And what he brings up is in the first season, there's a time where they get this big payout of cash. They see a guy come and get the car. They stop this guy. They see all this cash in his trunk, and they find out that this guy is a senator's aide. So they see, oh, it's not just this, what we find in here. Once we start to follow this money, we see just how deep the corruption goes. That's why Jesus is going to say where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. And here's what you'll find. Money leads us to what really leads us. Where do you spend money most effortlessly? Where do you find it easy to spend money? It's not even a conversation. Somebody just presents it. And regardless of how tight things are, you say, I'm going to get that. Where do you do that? How many times does Apple have to add one more lens to the back of the (laughs) joint before? Where do you, what do you do? What are the things that make room or find themselves in your budget even when it's tight and you say, ah, well, of course I can give up. It's just this much. What do you find it hard to spend money? Where don't you spend money? And it's not even a conversation. Where is it? Ah, I mean, of course I don't have any money for that. Oh, I drive down the road and they need help. No, 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 I don't. Yo, yo, I'm really tight. I'm trying to be on top of my funds. You follow the money. And what you'll find out is that it leads you to what you love. And then there's some folks in here that say, John, well, that's not me. I'm not a spender. I save. And look, it's not about if you spend or who you save. That's the wrong grid. It's about who's it for. Is it for yourself or others? So you can hoard all of your money and still be, you can be responsible and debt-free and greedy as anybody else. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Who's this for? Money is going to lead you to what really leads you. So here's what takes place. You follow your worry, right? For those of y'all that have already zoned out, And you've written, well, this is what I'm fearful of, John. Follow your worry and you'll find out why you work. Follow your work and you'll find out what you love, what you're really after. Follow your love and you'll find your Lord. What rules you? This is why when the Bible talks about the relationship that you have with God, it doesn't just put it in terms of God and you, creator and created. It's going to use this marriage metaphor over and over and over. Why? To help you see, like, look at this text. 19 to 21 seems like good advice. Do or don't, right? Don't store up treasure, do store it here. 22 and 23 is if then. If your eyes light, then you'll see. If your eyes dark, then you won't see. Verse 24, it's not in the realm of do or don't, if and then. It's in can and can't. It's saying this. You are going to have one Lord. You cannot prioritize both. Somebody has to be at the top. And the reason why the Bible talks about or relationship with God as a marital one and idolatry as adultery is this. A man can't go to his wife and say, I love you and my mistress and I want to do what's best for both of you. To prioritize the mistress is to choose her. It's like going north and south. 
Have you ever seen somebody try to go north and south at the same time? You can't. And what he's starting to say here is, listen, you you cannot serve God and money. Follow the money and it'll tell you what leads you. And what you'll find is that if money is your Lord, you find it hard to let go of things. Here's why you can't follow God. Because there are going to be certain times that you have to make choices that would be to your financial detriment. To honor God and whoever is your Lord will win. If money is your Lord, it's going to be hard because money is not just money, it's your security. And to step out and to obey God and generosity is going to feel like a curse because he's causing you to let go of what you feel like is your safety net. And you'll fight and make excuses or you'll come up with all kind of loopholes about how you just can't seek first God's kingdom, about how you just can't do what God has called you to do. And you'll choose your master and you'll work and work and work and you'll go to a job that you hate. You'll spend money on a bunch of things that don't satisfy. And the more that you work, the more that you'll worry. You'll never be freed from it. What's at the heart of your worry isn't what you have or what you don't have. It's who you serve. Now that we've gotten to the problem, we can get to a solution that actually works. 25. through 34 is just this. Look, what he says is if you make the wise choice and actually choose faith in God, uh, you don't have to worry because God's working. Don't worry because God's working. And I say the because, because the because makes all the difference. Um, Have you ever told somebody, don't worry, or you've been worried and somebody says, don't worry? What's the face that you give them? Uh, Don't worry is actually horrible advice. Regardless of what language you say it in, Hakuna Matata, put it with a nice song, it doesn't work. Regardless of who sings it, Bob Marley, I love him, he can sing it all day. It doesn't work. Telling somebody that's worried to to not worry is like defining a word with that same word. Have, have you ever had a word that you didn't know and you ask somebody what, what it means and they use that word to define it? What's walking? Well, uh, it's actually to walk, right? It's, that doesn't help me. Saying don't worry has never helped anybody not to worry. You say, why? And again, it's here as plain as day in the text. Jesus illustrates it, so I can't, it wouldn't make sense for me to illustrate on his illustration, so I'm just going to tell you what he says. Look, don't worry. Why? The very first thing that you have to do is you have to refocus. 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or, what you'll, uh, or your body about what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you live for money, money reduces life to the things that money can buy. And I just say that because what I know and what you know is that your real problems lie in the things money can't buy. Everybody with money finds themselves in problems that money cannot solve. So if you came here and you think that the thing that's going to cure the worry that I have today is money, I want you to know you're fooling yourself. So Jesus tells us to just take a step back to refocus. Then he says this, look, the reason why we don't have to worry is because God's working and God 
care. So after we refocus, here's what we do. We just reflect. We reflect on a few things. Here's the first thing that we reflect on. Uh, Creation. So at this point, we literally could take a field trip, close our Bibles, and go outside. Um, I don't enjoy being outside. For me, the usefulness of outside is that it's on its way to inside. But what Jesus is saying is that when you go outside and you look at the world through the lens that God would see it, here's what you'll find. Verse 26. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. What does he say? Birds don't worry. And they're always well fed. Birds don't work, but they're always well fed. Flowers are alive. They don't work, but they're well-clothed. And not just with sufficient clothes, but they're very well provided for. Then in our reflection, he's going to tell us to do something that 99% of the time we say to not do from this pulpit. And that's this, compare. Usually, comparison is the thief of joy. Here, comparison is the T-ball that's going to knock this ball of joy out of the park. He says this, compare how much more valuable you are to God than the flowers. Aren't you worth more? And this isn't just a Christian thing. Our world knows it. If you kill a bird, you're not going to go to jail. If you step on a flower, you're not going to be punished. If you do those things to another person, the punishment is increased. Why? You did the same action, but one is worth more. And God's saying this, compare. Listen, if you're really worth more than those things to God, why worry? If God's going to work for them, he's surely going to work for you. Um, A few weeks ago, our dryer in our house uh, wouldn't dry, so it was broken, right? It was just this big block that sat on top of our washer. Um, As we decided what our next steps were, we sat down, I read a bunch of stuff online, hey, it's this many years old, does it make sense to keep investing my money to fix something Or should I just throw it away and get a new one? Because I have limited resources and means, we had to spend time and say, what's the best use with the money that we have? Because we don't have all the money in the world. Well, it made more sense for us to fix it. But there is going to come a point when it breaks and to throw money at something that's not going to last would be to just throw it away. And I'm not rich enough to just throw money away like that. When the Bible talks about God and what he does with the flowers, it doesn't just say that you're worth more, but it says this. Look at how much time God takes to clothe flowers in beauty, and these flowers aren't going to be here in a few months. They're going to be gone. Who has that kind of money and discretionary income to throw it at something that's perishing? And do you know what he says? God does. The God that created you does. What are you, what are you worried about? It is Jesus literally saying, right? When he says, oh, you of little faith, he is literally saying, y'all quit tripping God has got you. But he doesn't just tell us to compare ourselves to the flowers and to the birds. He goes on and says this, look, compare yourselves to the Gentiles or pagans. And here he's specifically talking to people of 
faith. Look here at verse 32. Or 31. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. What he's saying is that there's a group of folks who they chase after all these things because the gods they believe in, they don't think that they'll or they don't think that there are gods, they don't think that there's anybody else that cares for them, or Gentiles weren't just people that were godless, but this is the view that they had of their gods. They had a rain god. They had a fertility god. And in order for them to get these gods to care for their creation, do you know what they had to do? They had to perform. They had to work. They had to give him stuff. They had to convince this God it was a good idea to bless them. And what he's saying is, listen, y'all have a God that nobody has ever had to convince him that it was a good idea to take care of his creation. You have a God that's not motivated by self-interest. You have a God that's generous, that gives. Don't live like people that don't know God. 34, he he says this, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry does no practical good. It only adds harm. If you worry about your beauty, you don't grow more beautiful. You grow more pimples. You get more wrinkles. Anxiety doesn't help. It has no functional usefulness. Once again, this is simple. It seems almost commonsensical, but simple doesn't mean that it's easy. 33, here's the answer. He he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Verse 33, he says this, look, but seek first the kingdom of God, choose the right master, and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Here's the thing about worry. Worry doesn't vanish. Worry is not erased. It has to be replaced. Do you know the only way that you're going to replace your worry? Every time you are tempted to worry, you have to remind yourself that it is time for me to worship. Every temptation to worry is just showing you in your heart, I'm putting my trust in a God that I'm not sure will provide for me. So instead of that, every time I'm tempted to worry, it's time for me to worship. And that's what this here means, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What that's saying is that, look, you and I, what we have to do in our lives is get money, get work, get worry, get status, get achievement, get security, get all of those things out of the center. And we have to make God, the God of the scriptures here, the absolute center of absolutely everything that we do. We have to continue to pinpoint where our allegiances have strayed from God and do everything that we can to remind ourselves of God's goodness, to get and to place him back in the center. And if we do that, it says this, look, and all these things will be provided for you. Hear this, God's commands always come with promises of what he'll do. It's in the future, so we have to wait. But it's also passive. We don't worry not because We think that we'll take care of things. We're told not to worry because there's a God that's actually working. We have to reflect on what God has already done outside. We have to refocus and remind ourselves money doesn't define what life is all about. And once we do that, we have to reorder our entire world. And if we do those things... We'll be free from worry. Here's the problem. As Jesus was preaching this truth to a crowd of thousands, do you know who was in this crowd 
and heard everything that Jesus said? Judas. Yeah, yeah, you remember that guy, don't you? Do you know how Jesus was betrayed? Judas literally exchanged Jesus for money. This is somebody who heard, all right, yo, yo, I'm worried. All right, I got to refocus. All right, I've got to reflect on how good God has been. And I have to reorder my whole world to make him at the center. Even somebody that had spent three years close with him, find him found himself worrying to the point where he would be willing to serve a different mass, exchange Jesus for money. And I want you to know the same thing that's, that was in his heart is in all of our hearts. To think that money is the solution to our problems. To worry about things that we shouldn't worry about at all. And here's what we do. Here's what's wrong. There's something inside that's wrong with us that the Bible calls sin. And what sin is, it, it's the thing that keeps us from reordering our world to be about God. Instead of trying to do that, do you know what sin does? It constantly wants to replace God in the world. It constantly wants to reorder, not our lives uh, around God, but it wants to reorder our lives with God's. It says, I really don't want to take your advice. I'd much rather pursue the things that I want to pursue, take care of things on my own, make the decisions that I want to make, and have you co-sign with it. And in working for independence to be free from worry, what we actually get is the depression and anxiety and worry that comes from being in isolation, not believing that there's anybody out there working for us. Has anybody felt themselves there? You knew the right thing that you should do. All this makes sense, but you're still worried, not fully convinced that God's going to take care of you. And now you're more worried Because you know that you failed the king of the universe and he has a reason to judge you. What do we do for all of us that haven't sought first the kingdom of God? What would a God like that do to people that have failed him? Here's what he'll do. Listen to what Luke says about this in Luke chapter 12, 31 to 32. It should be there on the screen. Parallel passage. He says this, look, but seek first his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. And here's the best part. Verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Here's what that looks like. We all can sit here and say, I know what I should have done, but John, I haven't done it rightly. I'm still worried because I've made my life about all of these things. Money has been my God. I'm worried because I love the security that money brings me, and I don't know how to break free. What's God going to do to somebody that's done him like that? Do you know what God does? God shows his love. God shows his love not just in creation and how he cares for his creation, but God shows his love in redemption, how he saves his wayward creation. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what God does to enemies that are on the outside of his kingdom? He sends his son, the one that is heir to the throne, to go outside the gates of the kingdom and exchange places with them so that they can come in. So being a part of God's kingdom, what we can do is this. Be reminded of the fact that God cares for us. Paul's going to go on and say this same thing. Romans 8, 31. We don't just have to look at creation We can look at what God has done in Christ. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at this. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him grant us everything? You're worried that God won't provide for you? You're really worried that God won't provide rent on time. And so you're anxious. You're really worried that God won't provide for your kids. So you toil and you strive and you're angry and all your relationships are ruined because you're marked by worry. And what he's saying is, listen, God doesn't just provide clothes for the flowers. God provided the life of his son for people that were running the opposite way. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? You do not have to live this life of worry. Here's how you do it. You have to make the commitment right now to say, John, from here on out, I will be a historian and not a detective. Here's what detectives do. If there's a mystery about how things will play out, they'll have a party, they'll celebrate, and they'll worship only after they've solved it. But in the meantime, they're suspicious about Everybody, everybody is a suspect, not knowing who to trust. And so they don't trust anybody but themselves and their minds. And then once they solve the problem, then they stand up and worship and give praise because they were smart enough to solve the problem. If you try to make yourself a detective when it comes to what God is doing and how he will provide, I guarantee you, you will never worship and you will always worry because how he provides is always a mystery. God gave us his son, but do you know what God gave his son? A cross, death. Nobody thought that God was favoring Jesus when he let him experience that turmoil, but he provided for him. But listen, here's how you can turn your worry into worship. Commit to be a historian. You're you're a much better historian than you are a detective anyways. Your hindsight works much better than your insight. If you make it a point, like Keith said at the start, hope is slippery. If you make it a point not to spend all of your time trying to look on how God is going to provide for yourself, but you seek first his kingdom in one way. One of the things that we've been trying to do here is this, hey, We have people that are part of this church, those that are on staff, those that aren't, that spend hours of their week to provide you with a one-hour time block at the start of the day on a Sunday. And the aim is that we would make you better historians, not just of world history, but of what God has actually done. So as we advocate like, hey, come to a place and learn your Bibles So that you don't have to wait until a Sunday for somebody to talk to you. But now you're loaded up with stories time and time again of what God has done. You can always find reason to praise. People that may be in here and uh, will just take one. Struggle with worrying about infertility. We want kids but we don't know where they're going to come from. And God, we just really need your help because it costs so much money to adopt. God, it costs so much money for IVF. God, it costs all of this. Where are we going to get this from? So we work and toil and work and toil and work and toil and work and toil. And then do you know what you do? You read the book of Genesis. And do you know what? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all have in common. All of their wives are barren. They can't have kids. They struggle with infertility. Samuel's mother, Hannah, she can't have kids. Samson's mother can't have kids. John the Baptist's mother 
can't have kids. Mary shouldn't be able to have kids. But throughout the whole Bible, we see this story of there not being any such thing as a dead end with God. So when we find ourselves tempted to worry, if we're historians, we can go back and have a reason to praise. I know things may not look like that well right now. Good thing I'm not a detective because this isn't a crime that I have to solve. I can spend my time and worship and be free of that worry. That is one thread in all of Scripture. Scripture is a quilt. Do you know how, how many individual pieces of thread it takes to make a quilt? All of that is at your disposal. Listen, you don't have to worry. You have a God that cares, and not just a God that cares, a God that has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he cares for everyone of your needs. Worry is not about what you have. Worry is about who has you. God has given his son so that he can have you. The only thing that you have to do is to accept the offer that he has provided and be free from the worry that controls you. It's simple, but it ain't easy. That's why we pray that he would give us strength to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Lord, you know how weighed down we are by worry. You know how even when we fix the thing that we're worrying about and we don't worry for a long time, it still doesn't affect our ability to be able to worry at an elite all-star level, God. So as it comes back, I pray that you, by your grace, would flood our mind and our hearts with ways that you have been absolutely faithful to us, God. Father, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you and knows the feeling that it is to worry not just about their provision, but their conscience. The things that their conscience has testified to the fact that they are far from you. Father, I pray that you would help them know if they are far from you, that they're right. But I pray that you would help them know that if they are far from you, your word says that you're omnipresent. You're everywhere at once, which means you're not far from them. I pray, Father, that we would be motivated, that we would be reminded of your grace towards us in Christ. And that whenever we're tempted to worry about lesser things, we would be reminded that you gave the greatest good without us asking. Help us to be a church that displays your sufficiency by our freedom from worry. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.